Welcome to the one player. <coughs> oh, I think I'm coming down with something. Welcome to the one player podcast, the show on salt. <coughs> this is episode 117. Lock it down. Quarantine him. Jump him. Hi, everybody. Happy 2017. Welcome back. We're recording today. It is January 3rd. And, you know, if you're hearing this, it's not January 3rd. Welcome back. How are you doing, Julius? Happy New Year. Yep. Happy New Year. <sighs> did Hi, Albert. Hopefully you had fun holiday celebrations. I did. I did. We had family visiting from out of town, so I didn't have a lot of time to play solo games. But we did play a few games. I got Evolution. I was going to say, well, that's the perfect time to play multiplayer yes. games. I got Evolution for Christmas, and so we played a few games of Evolution, which was a lot of fun. And I also got, we also pulled out Werewolf and played a few games of that. And that was another big hit. Or, I'm sorry, oh. One Night Ultimate Werewolf. We had no family coming again. No, okay. We wished. We wished. Okay, so you got some solo supposed to be games? having a big family get together the next summer. Yeah, I, so I got, exactly, so I got solo games. Um, although we did actually find one new, or we stumbled upon a new uh, community person who is into gaming. They came by to visit during Hanukkah, uh, during the holiday, and they said, wow, you have a bunch of games on your shelf. I haven't known anybody who has this many games since I moved out of wherever I used to live before. Not giving details. Mm -hmm. And so he was like, that's so cool. I have to come by and we have to play these games. I'm like, oh, cool. Look, another gamer. Cool. Okay. That's nice. So now Hanukkah's still ongoing at this point, right? Uh, no. Hanukkah ended Sunday. Oh, okay. Sunday was the last opportunity for that. Gotcha. My kids are very sad. Oh, uh, I, they like I bet. <laughs> they like lighting the fire. It's the most oh. fun part for the two-year-old is, is holding flame. Ooh, fire. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, very cool. Um, I have no news this episode. It's quiet time, Albert. It is. I have not gotten any solitaire games lately. I haven't played solitaire games in what feels like weeks. Um, oh, it's funny because I actually got a new solitaire game, Villagers of Valeria, or at least uh, a game that plays solitaire. Um, that came in just before Christmas, which I was surprised that they managed to make it. Like, I'm not sure if they were trying to aim to make sure that they got it there just before then or not, but it came in. That's fun. Nice. Okay. So I've ordered a couple of things from my friendly local game store that I've been waiting for forever. Oh My Goods, Longsdale in Arfur, I don't know how to pronounce that, is an expansion for Oh My Goods that's supposed to make the game more solitaire friendly. There's already a, an unofficial variant, so you can play Oh My Goods Solitaire. Though I haven't actually tried that yet. And now there's an official expansion that does it. I've also tried to get um, Nautilian from my friendly local game store. They have not been able to get either. Oh My Goods was ap apparently shipped to them, but never arrived. So, so I've not had much luck. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. I have it someday to all show up at once. That's what I expect. But we shall see. Um, I did receive, and I may have mentioned it last time, maybe not, the um, Comancheria from GMT, which is a solitaire game. It it is a sequel to Navajo Wars, which is a really cool game. I covered it a few years back on the show. I have not had time to sit down and read the rules for it for Comancheria, but I really would like to. Um, 
I find it funny that with all that, you say you don't have much games. <laughs> those were P500, so those were ordered a long time ago. That doesn't count. Mm, okay. <laughs> no, really, the rule book is complex enough that it's going to take me a while to get to it. Okay. So, yeah. Um, That's about all I can think of for my solitaire experiences lately. I should play something at some point this month. But we shall see. January 16th is coming up. It is both a holiday and my birthday, so I'll be at home. So maybe I'll get something played that day. Hopefully you get some nice birthday gifts. Mm-hmm. What are you looking forward to getting? Um, I have no real plans. I had mentioned to my wife for Christmas I wouldn't mind getting a new fountain pen. And I, I showed her links of a couple <laughs> nice ones. Um, I had also dropped hints about... Arkham Horror LCG. So, we shall see. Those are possibilities. You never mm-hmm. know. And if not... A new fountain pen? Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. A new fountain pen. They're great. I really like having a fountain pen now. I am writing a lot more. Why is that better than a regular pen? Because you could change the ink. The It holds less ink. And so it runs, so you have to change it more often. And if you have a lot of different colors, I got a sampler of inks. I could pick different color every time. The, the current ink is called Walnut. It's a nice dark brown. Before that, I had a graphite that looked like a, I was writing with a pencil. <laughs> I have an ink that is scented that smells like, uh, Herbes de Provence, right? Herbes de Provence. Um, I see. <laughs> and that's just fun. It's fun. And so actually running out quickly is a benefit here. I hate long-lasting inks. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. We'll see what happens. I'm sure I will try and play a game that day. Okay. But we shall see. Um. Yeah, I've got nothing else. I guess we're done. Cool. Um, well, I mean, I've actually started to record plays. I think this year I'm going to try and make sure that I'm recording all of my plays on BGG mm. just to, you know, help me keep track of it. In the past, I've not wanted to do so because I think I mentioned this before about how Shabbos gets in the way of doing it. Mm-hmm. But I've been doing it now for a couple of weeks and I've just tried to remember, um, to record my plays immediately Saturday evening or Sunday. And I think that, you know, it'll help me, you know, keep track and look back and, see what, what I'm getting played and how many plays and things I've gotten and maybe compare scores and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to try and be a bit better about keeping track of that. We'll see how that experiment goes. Cool. Okay. Yeah. Uh, maybe you could print out like a, a bunch of cards, one for each game. And then just when you play a game, set the card aside to remind you you played it. Eh, it's a lot of work, I know, but still. That's a lot of work. <laughs> <laughs> but it's fun because then you could also use these cards to pick a random game to play. That's not fun. I'd rather just look <laughs> at my shelf and try to remember. I mean, it shouldn't, it's not that hard to remember what game I played. It would be harder if I wanted to remember what score. Yeah. So, like, for Villages of Valeria or for Feast of Odin or for stuff like that, <sighs> mm-hmm. I want to be able to remember my score to be able to compare. So, that's trickier. That's harder to do. And so, I'm not promising that my plays are going to be completely accurate, but I don't mm-hmm. care. It's, I'd rather, I suppose, I'd rather have something than nothing in the yeah, end. Yeah, I agree. Sometimes I'll record the score. Sometimes I don't. I mean, if it's if I if it's handy and I can record it, then I will. And if I don't get that, that's fine. I'll try and at least put a note if I can if I remember it. 
But it, well, if it's not Shabbos, it's very handy for me because I have a, a the BGG app mm-hmm. on my phone, which makes it really yeah, easy to record. That plus. app is great. I I much prefer recording on my on the app on the Android phone than on, on the computer. It's much easier. Yeah, actually, that's true. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that is a fantastic. That's a sad thing app. to say when an app is better than the actual method on the website. Yeah, I agree. And you know, the, the website is better than it used to be, but it could be better still. Could be. Mm-hmm. It could be. Yep. So actually, there is one more game I just want to talk about briefly. Um, this one, and I realized this because I'm looking over my plays and I remember it now. Uh, Wizards Academy. We reviewed this one recently. Mm-hmm. This is the co-op game where you are wizards running around trying to deal with every myriad type of danger that's running around trying to complete some objective. So I said there are 10 different scenarios that are included in the game, six of which are standard and four of which are expert scenarios. When we reviewed it last time, I hadn't done all four of the expert scenarios. In fact, I had only done the last of the expert scenarios because I I lost pretty hard on that one. So I went back to playing the standard once more. Well, I decided to play one of the earlier stand uh, expert scenarios and saw there are actually some rules that I missed. Um, Whoops. Oops. <laughs> yes. The, I wish this was mentioned more on later pages by each scenario so that if you are flipping through and you see it, you'll know that without going back. But oh well. Uh, there's actually a rule that when you're playing the expert scenarios, you basically start halfway through the game, essentially. You get a whole bunch of resources to start the game with. You get a whole bunch of the level one and two spells start flipped over. And... Essentially, you've gotten all that done. So whereas when I played it before, I thought you were having to complete the whole game quicker, that you just had a shorter timeline to complete the game. Now, what really it does is it just cuts out the first half of the game and tries to sort of simulate that and give that all to you up in front. Thus, you only have to do the latter half of the game is essentially what it's trying to do. Um, Well, that makes the expert scenarios easier because you have stuff. But it means that the expert scenarios are shorter, mm-hmm. probably a third shorter or so from my couple plays of an expert scenario at this point in time. They're about a third shorter or so. I guess maybe this would depend on how you like things like this. The beginning of the game is slow. I think I mentioned this when we were doing your, our review of it, because at the beginning of the game, there's no threats out. So a lot of the time you're activating nothing. So it's giving you time to get built up, get set up. But I don't, I mean... <laughs> I kind of like the game for its length. I like having a longer game. The game takes a good bit of time to set up, and I kind of feel like when I set up a game for that long, I should be able to sit down and enjoy the whole experience as opposed to cutting out the first third of the game. Hmm. So, I don't know. I wasn't such a big fan of the expert scenarios. Having now realized what they're supposed to do, having, I suppose, read through the whole scenario book and realize what it is that they're supposed to do, which is just, hey, don't play the boring beginning part of the game. Play the more exciting end of the game when everything's already going wrong. I don't know. <laughs> I didn't like it that much doing it like that. Would you like something like that, Albert? No, usually I prefer to, to build up my own drama, right, and, and let it get exciting. And then, because if you just jump in straight to the end, you miss a lot of that story that you created, mm-hmm. that narrative. See, I think I'm there with you. I'd rather play the full game. Now, if I'm really short on time and I'm just finding I don't have time to play the short, the longer version, I may do that. 
But and I think that the experts news also give a more level difficulty curve because they're setting it up already with a crisis. You're relatively certain that you're going to get a crisis with the standard mode, but the standard modes may end up with no crisis. You may manage when you're entering into final areas to not have much of an issue. You may, you may do that, or you may end up with such an issue that it's insurmountable by the point in time which you would normally be entering the expert mode. So I suppose that levels the difficulty somewhat, but I don't know. It, it's not quite, it's not what I'm looking for personally. At least not, it's not been when I've wanted to sit down and play it. It could be that that's just due to disappointment and, oh God, I'm totally messed up how it is that you're supposed to play this mode. <laughs> And therefore, it just wasn't what I was looking for, and I wanted to play the normal one and sort of forced myself to play this one correctly because I wanted to see how it plays mm-hmm. when I really wanted to be playing the full one. Eh. We'll revisit this. I'm sure I'll be playing more of this because I still really like the game. Um, but, you know, we'll see. Uh, you know, I remembered something else I did recently, actually, that's interesting. Um, Sunday, we went with the, the in-laws who were staying, the visiting from out of town. We went to an escape room. The in-laws. Yes, it was my sister-in-law, her husband, and three kids. Three girls. And To an escape and room. And so the nine of us went and did that. And that was a lot of fun. Have you ever done anything like that? I have not. Okay. Um, and you know about them, you basically, you go into a room, and you go to try mm-hmm. and get out in the allotted time, which is generally an hour. And you're doing this by solving a lot of different puzzles. And so it was a lot of fun. It was a little chaotic because you have nine people in the room and all of them are trying to do stuff and somebody's trying to read a puzzle and somebody else is trying to shut off the lights to, to use the black lights. And <laughs> so I got a little crazy. But in the end, we managed to solve it and got out with a whole minute and a half to spare. So that mm-hmm. was neat. Well done. Mm-hmm. Thank you. No spoilers, though. Um, I imagine it's only a spoiler if you're going to come to Greenville and do it. <laughs> I don't know. I have no idea. <laughs> but yep, so so that was it. So now we're ready to talk about Pandemic Legacy. Cool. Alrighty, well, a couple um, points of order before we get to this review. Today we are going to be reviewing Pandemic Legacy. I believe that we've already actually reviewed standard pandemic. So I think we'll try not to focus too much on the review of, you know, the aspects of pandemic itself. Uh, we're going to be focusing more just on the legacy. We're going to be splitting this up as I believe other people have done in the past to a spoiler and a non-spoiler section. We're going to be doing the non-spoiler section first. And then after the outro, we'll do a spoiler section. Hey listeners, this is Future Albert here, just jumping in to let you know that the spoiler segment is going to be uh, published as a separate episode. This way you don't have to worry about uh, accidentally hearing too much of it this time, and I'm going to wait a couple days to publish it so you have time to prepare. Alright, back to the show. Uh, Between those two, we're also going to be having a discussion about what legacy brings that campaigns don't and what campaigns bring that legacy does not and compare and contrast that with a standard board game just to talk about all the different aspects and advantages and disadvantages of each of those mediums. So sort of 
if you want to skip around and only listen to one of those sections, or if you really only care about the spoilers or don't care about the spoilers, you can take a look at the show notes and we've listed out the time codes for each of those and jump around. And mm-hmm. if everyone's ready, here we go. So to start it off with, Albert, let me just ask you, have you played Pandemic Legacy yet? I have not played it, no. Why not? Um, It's expensive. It's kind of expensive. No, that's true. Yep. Um, Although it's getting cheaper, I understand, uh, you know, as it's getting older. I've seen some sales going on for it during the holidays. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. You know, I think so. I, I, I suspect that the fact that you can only play it once also bothers me a little bit, and so that keeps me from getting it mm-hmm. because of the price. But I, I don't know how true that is. You know. Only you can know your own heart, mm-hmm. I suppose, or your wife. Yeah, there you go. But I don't know. I have not played it. I, I don't have any current plans to get it. So. But you've heard a fair amount about it. Yes. I've played through the whole campaign. Uh, I did greatly enjoy the campaign. And we're going to talk about how the game is played different than Pandemic for starting off the game. For starting off the review. Okay. Mm-hmm. One of the basic differences that's involved, because it's a legacy game, you're going to have different characters. And each character actually comes on a folding card type thing. It's essentially a double width card. So it's twice the size of a standard card. Okay. And and so... And, well, go on. Go ahead. No, you go on. And because it's double wide, so that gives you a little bit of room for some extra things. Each of those cards can have special talents, skills, uh, can have special relationships, and can have special scars. And so these are essentially just stickers that you get to stick on each of the character cards and give them upgrades or downgrades issues that they have to deal with. And because those stickers will differ... Uh, that means that everybody's play throughout the games will also differ. There's nothing that forces any one person to pick any one specific relationship, upgrade, skill, or scar. Um, so everyone's cards can develop different ways. So I think there are definitely some skills that most people try and get and will try and pair between those different things. Okay. So does everybody start with the same character then? And from there you deviate? Or do you still have different starting characters like you would with pandemic there's different starting characters there's a whole pile of them and as you go through the campaign there's going to be more characters that are going to come out also this shouldn't be a surprise to you at all when you get to that even though that is a spoiler it shouldn't really be too much of a surprise um but you do start with some characters and as you go through the game, you have the ability to level them up, and you can start with any one of the characters that you have available each time you play the game, similar to regular Pandemic. So you can start with a scientist or and a researcher and a medic one time, and then the next time you can have you know, a different setup for how it is that you want to play the game. Okay. Now, it's hard for me to say which ones. You know, I'm looking back at my own game calendar because you can keep track of who played what as you're going through the game on a little game calendar that's in the back of the rule book, but you can write all that down. And it's hard for me to look over them and say, oh, we played this and this and this person, because I can't remember which ones of these specifically came out when. Because I know some of these were definitely ones that came out later. Mm-hmm. I see. Okay. 
but you can always you can always keep switching, which is definitely important to do because if you were locked with just one, you wouldn't be able to use any of the new people that come out later. Okay. Okay, so uh, um on to after the characters, how about the other stuff? Is the map any different really or is it basically the same map? Maybe some different routes here and there, but basically the same. The map is basically the same. I think there's like one route that's different. The map is the exact same. The the basic method that you use for curing everything is almost exactly the same. Okay. The infection deck is almost exactly the same, except that you get a certain amount of funding each time. And as you do better, you get less funding. And if you do worse, you get more funding. And funding can be used to put event cards into the uh, player deck. And so you'll get more event cards if you're doing worse in the campaign. So essentially that's a balancing mm-hmm. mechanic. Yep. And if you're doing worse, you'll have almost no events. And for us, there were definitely some times where you, we were starting with absolutely no events in our deck because we were doing well. Uh, the game also comes with a whole pile of stickers. Ooh. Stickers are the best. Mm-hmm. Right? They're great because you can stick them on card windows, refrigerators, cats. Yes, and those stickers are used to mark cities as unstable or riding or fallen. This was one of the most interesting type of things that was involved in the, in the Legacy campaign. The upgrades that you can have to abilities or to or to diseases or to people, that sort of stuff felt RPG-ish, and that sort of stuff didn't feel like it really had to leverage the stickers. I could have just written that stuff down from a book if I wanted, similar to I would have done for an RPG campaign. But the stickers that go on the unstable cities, it was definitely nice for those to be as stickers. Essentially, what those stickers are is if a if a city outbreaks, which means that it has uh, four, it would have four disease cubes on it, the level of stability in the city goes down. At level one. There's no issues. At level two and three, it's riding, and there's still going to be no issues. Um, I think. Okay. Just a second. And this is, again, stuff that's in the rulebook from the beginning. Yeah, this is stuff that's in the rulebook from the beginning. Yeah, at level two and three, it's riding, and you can't take direct flights or charter flights out. Uh, at level four, it's collapsing, and so you're going to have to discard an extra card to go in there. At level five, it's fallen, so you're going to have to spend now two cards to get in there. So it can get really hard to get in there uh, as it keeps falling. Hmm, okay. That's very interesting. Now, I was listening to another podcast the other day talking about this game, and they mentioned um, this was on the table for one, and, and they mentioned how the rulebook had gaps in it. And I got the impression mm-hmm. they meant there's actually physical spaces where there's there's space for a new paragraph to be inserted into the book. Is that true? Exactly. Okay. There's spaces, there's stickers that come out over the course of the campaign that you have to peel off those stickers and actually put it on the game, on the rule book. And there's actually a whole packet of sticker sheets, which are partially covered over. So you have to peel off a piece of cardboard on the top to reveal what the sticker is. And then you can put those stickers wherever it is that it says to do so. Some of the stickers might go on cards, might go on board, might go on rulebook, might go other places. So there's all sorts of stickers and things that you get to put all over the rulebook and on cards and various other places to level things up and to, to, to keep things continue to be used. Neat. Okay. Okay. So this. So yes, the rules of the game, the physical rules of the game will continue to change over the course of the campaign. 
Okay. So it sounds like basically everything but the box itself can be modified and might be modified during the gameplay. And this is sort permanently of. modified. The, permanently modified, yes. This this stuff this sort of stuff cannot be undone. There are various people who have attempted to make it so that you can undo it, but in my opinion, it's just not worth it. Okay. <laughs> it's just not worth it. Um there's also a whole set of boxes that clearly have extra components hidden inside of it. Mm-hmm. And so as things will tell you to open up those boxes, you get to open up those boxes and take out the extra components. It almost feels like it's one game that comes with eight expansions because there's eight boxes. Hmm, neat. Okay. I, did, I hadn't never thought of it that way, but that's a neat way to look at it. I mean, that's the, that's the sort of feel you get to it. And I know that speaking with Rob Davio about Seafall, um, I was one of the playtesters for Seafall. So I've had a, the opportunity to speak with Rob Davio about Seafall and also Pandemic. Um, the idea of what this goes for is sort of like the same type of thing you get for an expansion. Even the stickers in the rule book is the same sort of stuff you would get in an expansion. If I, if you expand, like we recently talked about expanding Pandemic the Cure. Mm-hmm. Essentially, it comes with another small rule book that modifies the original one, just doesn't have stickers. But all that sort of stuff, you have to insert and figure out how it plays different. It'll tell you, change the setup to do this and this and this. Well, imagine if that were, instead of being a separate rule book, it was just a set of stickers that go in it. That's essentially what it feels like as you're playing the game, is that it's one game with a whole bunch of expansions. Gotcha. But once you choose to use an expansion, you can never choose to stop using it. And that's what makes it legacy. Well, I mean, you, <laughs> you go into a matter of choice. The rules do not permit you to. <laughs> true. Sure, or you could cheat. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I mean, well, how often do you play a game without an expansion once you've bought an expansion? Um, you know, it depends. Some games I will. It depends on the game. Um, it depends how hard it is to pull the expansion back out. Basically, just like with the Legacy game, I guess. Like I was thinking about Star Realms today. I bought a new some new expansion packs for it. And I was thinking mm-hmm. how if I add them in, it's just going to become super unwieldy and, you know, it'd be nice. It'll be so diluted. You won't really benefit from that expansion. And I'd love to take out the other cards, but I've got 100 or 200 cards to go through. I'm not going to. I suppose. But I mean, the one I was thinking of immediately was Imperial Settlers, mm. that each expansion comes with extra cards for each deck. And unless I'm playing competitively, I'll just throw all the cards in the deck because I don't want to feel like taking all of that stuff back out and not following the rules for yeah, it. Yeah, that's another one that's you know? hard to do. Or a Pandemic the Cure. You've probably mixed in all of the different characters. You use all the characters, right? Yes. But, so the characters to me is different. Adding more characters isn't like adding an expansion. It's just, I don't know, more options. Which I hear what you're saying. Yeah. Okay, because it almost doesn't make sense. But yeah, I, to me that doesn't feel like adding an expanction. It's not changing I what the you're gameplay. I mean... Here's another question for you. How many expansions have you purchased for games? Uh, a lot. <laughs> oh, do you? Yes. I, I love games I tend games not to purchase too many expansions. I have more games that have expansions. That's that's an easy thing to say. Okay, let me see. Uh, more than half of mine are expansions. Oh, I don't even think I can say that. I have no idea where you're looking at. Um, BGG. If you go to your games page, it says I own 903 and I own 477 expansions. But the 903 includes the expansions. But, you know, that includes Lord of the Rings, which is a ton of, like, small decks. Well, I hear what you're saying. Wow, you own 903 is what it mm-hmm. says for you? Wow. 
Uh, I own 93 and 25 expansions. The only difference is a zero, and zeros don't count. So we have the same number of games. <laughs> Look at that. And I mean, for me, of those 25, a third of them are Mice and Mystics. A quarter of them are Hostage Negotiator. Okay. So I have almost no expansions. <laughs> That's really what it comes down to. Yeah. Well, you got Arkham Horror, the card game, right? So that that may change. I do have Arkham Horror, the card game. So as that starts to build up, I may very well have a whole bunch from that. Mm-hmm. But I think that probably brings home the point that I don't have very much expansions and I tend not to get expansions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. By and large. By and large. I just don't. By and large, I tend to get another game instead of an expansion. It has to be a game I really, really like. The few examples would be Flashpoint, Pandemic the Cure, Hostage Negotiator, and Mice and Mystics. Okay. Those are, by and large, the only expansions I get. Yeah. You know, and lately I've been finding I've got mixed feelings about expansions. I'm starting to find some of them are very annoying. Um... Because they just add complexity to the game, and then I don't want to play the game. Because, like we said earlier, it's hard to take it back out. Mm-hmm. And so, so that, or, like, trying to play... I mentioned it a few months back where I was trying to play uh, Elder Sign, and I wanted to play an expansion, but I had to... I couldn't remember the rules. And it was trying to trying to combine the rules for the expansion and the base game was just... It's too hard to do it that day. So that's very much a good analogy for the sort of stuff that Pandemic Legacy does with each of its. Although I think that you were talking about, you know, it's too hard to take it out and it adds complexity. It's certainly adding complexity to the game. It doesn't in small steps, though. Like with Pandemic the Cure, for example, simpler one, um, that adds the single box comes with three things that it does different. Actually, a better example would be Flashpoint. Flashpoint Fire Rescue, a single expansion comes with a new board that has three or four new different mechanics about how you do it. For this time, each new rule is adding one more. Excuse me. For this one, each new box, each new unlock is adding, you know, in general, one new mechanic or something along those lines. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that's more like the sort of thing. And that's really, I mean, even I, that's exactly what I was expecting when I opened the box and I saw how it was working. And it may be that I was expecting that because I actually playtested Seafall before I played um, Pandemic Legacy. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I really like that they modify the rulebook. And, and that helps a lot with that issue. It's, it doesn't... Making things simpler to understand? Yeah. Yeah, I hear that. And I wonder if that's a lesson that can be learned about expansions in general, that it would be better just to issue a new rule book, including the whole thing. I mean, I don't know how much extra that would add to the game. It may very well include a fair amount. I think that, let's see here, this is 15, 16 page rule book, and I think expansions are normally two or four pages. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and that would be a great idea, but the problem gets to an expansion like a Pandemic the Cure that has three modules, right? You can't include the whole rulebook for each module. I hear that. And so, I mean, it, I, I don't know if there's a good answer. It's the issues with expansions. I hear that. I mean, if you like doing the expansion thing, or if you you know if you want to test the waters with that, this is an excellent way to try that out. Mm-hmm. That's definitely true. 
And I think it leverages the mechanics involved pretty well, too. You know? Okay. Boom. So, so what do you... Are we ready to move on to what we think about the game? Or is there more still? One interesting thing, everything in the game is plastic components. There is no wood in here. Huh. I don't know if that would... That surprised me, but that could just be because I like wood stuff. But, like, all the meeples are plastic, all the tokens are plastic, all the diseases are plastic, all that little houses are plastic. Everything is plastic. Lots and lots of plastic. Hmm. And, like, the little cure vial bottles are plastic and all that? Cure vials are plastic. Yes, are, it's all plastic. Are they, like, the cure vials in the expansions for Pandemic that they look like little bottles? Or are they... Yeah. Okay. Well, no, they don't look like they, no. They're they're not realistic bottles. They are meeple-like bottles. Mm, okay, more more like a t- plastic token. Gotcha. Yes. Okay, that's interesting. I w- I do wonder why they did that. I I mean, I'm pretty sure plastic is cheaper than wood. Mm. I don't know if that's why they did it. That's a good point. I I mean, I don't think they made it as a conscious des- design choice. There's been some games that have really leveraged plastic. Spirit Island is one that's coming out where the bad things are all plastic and the good things are all wood because the good things are all natural and the bad things are human mankind. They're leveraging that distinction quite well. Wow. Uh, Feast for Odin, with one exception, also leverages it pretty well. Everything that gets placed on your home board is a cardboard token. Everything that is not a cardboard token cannot be placed in your home board. Nice, okay. That That's pretty cool that people are starting to do that. So I think that they're trying to, you know, other things are trying to leverage that distinction well. Probably I think that that distinction was made here because I think plastic is cheaper than wood. Mm, okay. I mean, I have no complaints or critique about that particular component. I think it's fine as plastic. I just personally prefer wood. But everything was plastic and it surprised me on opening it up that everything was plastic. Mm-hmm. All right, so so this Pandemic Legacy game that you played, is it your copy or did somebody else buy it? My copy. Okay. And did you play it four players all the time? Uh, we played it three players three the whole players, time. Three players, okay. And the same three people. Same three people. Did not do it solo. Okay. It can be done solo. There's Having gone through the whole thing, there's nothing in it that prevents you from doing it solo. Okay. Did you play with three characters or with four characters? Three characters. Okay. Nobody played double hand. That's interesting. The, some podcasts they were talking about it. They said, "Oh, you really got to play four characters. You can't do less than that." Nah, lies. Huh. Okay. Lies and ruins. You don't need to well, at all. I mean, in in all reality, you can even do it too. There's nothing stopping you from doing two. Hmm. Interesting. Well, I know with basic pandemic, you you could you don't have to do more. It. Uh, it changes the way the game plays a little bit, I think, and, and what you do and how you deal with stuff. But, I mean, you could even do one. It's just harder. No, you can't do one with this. <laughs> okay. You need, you're going to need the two. Okay. You'll need, you'll need to play a double-handed. Or triple-handed. But there's nothing, it, it, there's nothing preventing you from doing that. It plays like, you know, regular Pandemic with extra expansions. Gotcha. There's nothing preventing you from doing that. Okay. Um, now then, the other thing that is quite clear is there's a story through the game. Mm-hmm. There's 
a developing storyline that goes through the game. Every time you're flipping over, there's a deck of cards that advance as you go through scenarios. So there's not a scenario book. There's a deck of cards where each card has a scenario on it, new objectives, new thingies that come out that give you instructions on what to do. And that is trying to tell a story. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> that is not high-class literature story. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I, I've it's heard people not. complain about the story. that it's It's not a great story. It's predictable and that sort of thing. I don't think it's a problem for. I mean, but what? It's a game, though, right? A, so, so is it carrying right, for the game. game? It's it's supposed to be a game. It's supposed to be an immersive game. I am trying to make you feel like you're a part of the game. So I'm not able to write a novel. I'm not able to write a 500 word novella. I can't put all of that. That's not what the game is designed for. The game is not a book. When you do an escape room, we talked about that earlier, mm-hmm. there's a story in the escape room. And it was pretty usually cheesy. It's a very, <laughs> usually there's a very brief story. Yeah. But the point of it is not for the story. The point of it is to be immersive. And cheesy stories tend to be more immersive because you can understand them easily. Yeah. Well, there's not a cognitive leap required to understand and integrate yourself in the story. If it all ties in, if the whole story ties in to expectations, if the whole story ties into classic tropes, Mm -hmm. if there's already a box that you know of, then you can sort of insert yourself in the story very quickly. You know what to expect and you know where you're holding. If you're expecting a surprise and you're trying to read a story, so then you're not going to be able to do that and you're not going to be as immersed. So I feel like the fact that the story is simple, that the story is very B-movie-like, is possibly an advantage for the medium. It means that the game can immerse you more in its story than if the game were attempting to tell you a novel. Mm-hmm. Yep. I think that's exactly spot on. It's it's so. cheesy because because it's predictable because it's really familiar and really familiar is a quick and simple way to get into that story. Mm-hmm. I mean that's one reason I I personally don't watch very much. Even I have access to a computer, I could watch more television and movies and things like that. Honestly, I prefer books because I think that in general the storyline and the plot and the character development of a book is more well-developed. It's a better plot and better character in a book than a movie Mm -hmm. in general. You know, the trying to compare the uh, superhero movie with reading Steelheart series by Brandon Sanderson. I got a lot more out of the Steelheart series than I did out of, you know, Avengers. Mm Mm-hmm. Because there's a lot more character development. There was a much deeper and richer plot to Steelheart. Yep. Steelheart is a superhero movie. Yeah, but... It's a really good one. But do you really want to sit there and, and read a, a paragraph to all the players before each game? Right? Nobody wants to Not do that. Not at all. Nobody wants that. Exactly. <laughs> so I think that the fact that it's simple allows for more immersion and allows for the game to come out. And it's not. it doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be a, a more complex narrative. I think the narrative works just fine as it is. Mm-hmm. 
Well, cool. Okay. And I think I can probably, I mean, I haven't finished Seafall yet, although I did finish it in playtesting. But I think uh, I hear even more people complaining about the narrative in Seafall. Hmm. Really? Okay. I think that, I think that in Seafall you have more of an issue because in this one, the narrative progresses through at the control of the creator. Whereas in Seafall, the creator is not in control at the pace and direction. So Seafall suffers more in that regard, but still it's a really simple story to Seafall and it's a really simple story to this one. So I think the fact that there's a story, even though it's really simple and really basic is, is really fine. If anything, it's a, it, it makes the game better because of that. Hmm. Okay. Now then, I was certainly happy to see that Pandemic Legacy did not take number one on the 2016 player's choice. Pandemic Legacy is number 40, well, it's the 41st game on the list, so it's the 59th or something like that. So, it missed the top half. Mm-hmm. It missed the top half. So, I'm glad to see that it didn't take number one, even though it took number one in BGG. And here's why I think that. This may be an interesting perspective, but bear with me for a second. I don't think this is a great solitaire game in comparison to a multiplayer game unless you have something like the one-player guild. Because this game is really about the experience. This game is really about enjoying it, going through it, and living through the story and the whole game play. And for me, um, part of going through such an experience game is really about sharing it and talking it. And I'm sure that this is my opinion only because I like talking about games. It's probably one of the reasons why I have a podcast. Um, so for me, having a game which is so much about the experience, for me, really invites the need to share it with someone else. If I didn't have a podcast, I would really want to talk about it with other people on the guild or other people who um, have already played through the game. Fortunately... Mm-hmm. I personally have a podcast Woo-hoo. and I'm sure exactly. And I'm sure that's the sort of thing that many other people wouldn't necessarily care about that. The fact that it's a, an experience game would not draw that sort of reaction. A puzzle game doesn't draw that same sort of reaction. A story doesn't draw that same sort of reaction. But for instance, when I read a good novel or I see a good show, I want to tell someone else about it. I want to make that recommendation. I want to talk with someone else about it or read other reviews also. But I want to sort of share that and join in with other people who have experienced the same thing. Puzzles don't tend to do that same thing to me, but experiences tend to do that for me. I want to talk mm-hmm. about that. That makes sense. You know, the, the guys at Table for One said the same thing. They compared it to reading the, to reading Harry Potter and being the only person that's read that and not being able to talk to anybody about it and sharing the experience. Mm-hmm. So, like, so fortunately, I have a podcast, so I can alleviate that yeah. for me. So. The, you know, I, I almost, <laughs> you know, not having played it, I can't really say, but to me, it seems like maybe that wouldn't matter so much. It'd be frustrating that there's nobody to talk to about it, um, but it would still be a fun experience that you enjoy. You know, like I've read stories that I've enjoyed immensely and haven't really talked to, like I've read Watership Down a bunch and I, I love the story, great books, but I would find it hard to talk to other people about it. Um, would you? I mean, really? 
I I've not read that particular book, but I mean, we just now mentioned Steelheart. I take the opportunity to tell people about it. I don't know anybody that has read Watership Down. I know people like it. Personally, I don't know anybody, and I I think it's one of the best things I've ever read. Um, And I've read it a few times, and I listened to it again. I listened to the audiobook last year, and it was just great. But I, I don't think I would necessarily want to sit down and talk to somebody about it. I would play a role playing game of it. As a matter of fact, I got one called The Warren. But okay, but I don't know. I don't know. This could be a, this could be a different strokes type mm. thing. And the thing of this is, I have a feeling that many podcasters are going to agree with me because, by and large, us podcasters are people who like to share our experience. That makes sense. And not having played it, <laughs> I may just be wrong. I may have I may go and play it and say, you know what? I would hate this if I couldn't talk about it. <laughs> so. This is this is the sort of thing I'd be very interested to hear on this specific aspect with non-podcasters. Mm-hmm. Is this the sort of thing that's really important for a non-podcaster? Is this just the sort of stuff that us podcasters and us media type people like sharing because we're very sharing type people? Yeah, that's a good question. I don't know. No, my my friend and coworker Tom played it, and and he's told me about the game some, and I know he's enjoyed the experience a lot. So yeah, I think he would he enjoys that he could talk about it see that's that supports the continued yes, theory it is does. that the game may be something that you just want to share with someone now unfortunately i think there's a lot of people on the guild who have played it and are more than happy to talk about it i don't know mm-hmm. but that may be something you might want to consider i wonder if it's it's like playing a role playing game which is a great shared experience and you could do it solo and it could still be a great experience but it's not the same it's just not the same kind of experience. It may be. Hmm. It may be. That said, having played it multiplayer, I still think that it's a really great game. I don't think it's a must-play, though. Okay. I think that there is, for me, um, I really enjoy playing it, and I really like it, and I'm very happy I did play it. And there was certainly a certain amount of you know, fear of missing out occurring that I wanted to play it. Excellent play. You know, great, great game. I don't think it's the sort of thing that you have to feel like you have to play in order to join in with the crowd. Feel free to just listen to any of the spoilers and then you won't have that fear and you'll be probably just fine. If you want to spend your money on other things, I think you're perfectly fine doing that. Mm-hmm. The fact that it's the number one and it has risen to such meteoric ranks... You're okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Let me let me set everyone's mind at ease about that one. The permanence of the destruction. Does that bother you at all? No. No, okay. I kind of wish and maybe maybe it is that 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 bothers me about the game that they would release it differently where you could buy the game plus the the play kit or something and then you could play it multiple times. Right. Well, I was actually just about to start discussing the legacy aspects in comparison with campaign aspects. Okay. Just sort of in general. Okay. That a legacy game, and this is more just a general sort of discussion, a legacy game has or often does live on its surprise and its narrative. And I'd say that the same is certainly true of pandemic legacy the surprise is you're going through it and the the new goodies um drive forward the game to make it into such an interesting experience everyone likes opening up and getting new gifts and getting new things 
you know, it, it's very much a reason why a lot of this hobby sort of develops around the hotness. That mm. hot new games are cool. They're hot new games. Everyone likes getting new goodies. With a legacy game, you continue to get new goodies. Mm-hmm. And playing through it again reduces that to a certain degree. And it's one reason why I find it interesting with campaign games. There's a story involved in a campaign game. And you go through that story. So, for instance, I'm thinking Warhammer Quest. I'm thinking, you know, like the first campaign of um, Arkham Horror. These are, I'm trying to think of other campaign games, but these are games with a campaign that you go through it. And as you play through it, Mix versus Minions, as you play through it, there's a campaign that you're going through. And each time you go through it, the story's not going to change. So there's no big surprise to those. The changes, the, the challenges and the enjoyment come from the actual mechanics of the game. They're not trying to make you and to, to sort of shoot off more dopamines in your brain for the joy of opening up a brand new gift under the tree. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, um, are there any things in this game that, that will, your, your success or failure in one scenario will drastically change the story? Like a choose your yes. adventure. Okay. Oh, no, they don't drastically change the story. Not in this game. But a legacy game could have that, theoretically. Yeah, okay. But this one doesn't. It, so it wouldn't be like, if I play it this time, next time, next time I play it, I know to do certain things differently to change the outcome. None of that. Correct. Okay. Correct. And that's going to be a negative to a legacy game that a campaign game is going to have better. So, for instance, the campaign in Descent or Imperial Assault. Mm-hmm. Those are other campaign games where each campaign will change. There's replayability to each campaign. The campaign game in, um, in Arkham Horror Card Game, the campaign is going to change in some ways in it. Now that I think that Descent has a larger change to its campaign, but those things will change as you're playing the game, which makes each game different which adds more replayability, which is something you don't have for a legacy game. It's not going to have that replayability. Not an existing legacy game anyway. I'd be really surprised to hear of a legacy game that does that because that means that there's extra components that have to go in the game. And it means that there has to be a whole reset mechanic that has to go in the game as well. Mm -hmm. Well, then then they could sell the game in two parts, the base and the play kit. (laughs) If the, it's always possible, yeah. nobody's tried that yet. But I imagine at that point in time, just make a campaign game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, Why make it? Because it'll sell a ton. <laughs> <laughs> the legacy games are hard. They, they are hard to develop and they're hard to make. Okay. They are hard to make. They're an extra set of components that you have to pay for. I mean, stickers are not inexpensive. Yeah. Paper and pen would be well, cheaper. So then, then that would make you want to be able to sell multiple copies of it to the same person. Right. If you're spending a big investment to, to make this game, wouldn't it be if great somebody if, wants to, some, if somebody wants to buy multiple mm-hmm. copies of it? And if each play is going to be a different story, somebody may. Of course, they may, you know, is maybe. it as long as Pandemic? Then maybe they wouldn't. Because I, I think it, Pandemic is a big time investment to play the whole game. It yeah, is. Yeah, okay. So I could see where it would, somebody would be hard-pressed and want to put that time commitment again, even if it is a different story. I don't think that's true. No? I mean, as soon as we finished the pandemic campaign, 
my we packed it all up and my wife says wait so this is like a novel that i can only ever read once <laughs> yep yep that's exactly what it is and i would with many of my novels i have reread them you were talking about rereading mm-hmm. your novel multiple times yeah you put that effort into going through it again because you enjoyed the novel mm-hmm. but you can't hear nope now do you want to keep it or are you like gonna just throw it out because it's done I'm gonna throw it out. I mean, I'm gonna I'm gonna grab some of the components for um, other things, other things. Mm-hmm. But I'm gonna I'm not gonna I'm not gonna keep it. I'm not gonna let it take up room. I've kept this long in order to review. Okay, <laughs> in all honesty, <laughs> that's funny. I have nothing I can do with it. There's nothing to do with it. You can't play again with it. Mm-hmm. Well, so so again, the the difference between a campaign game and a legacy game. I could see the the draw to the legacy game in that. The the changes you're doing is permanent, and so, so so I don't know how to, it gives you a closer bond to the game, right? Because, well, I think that I mean I think that one of the draws of a legacy game is the dopamine rush of having a new shiny. Yeah, but not just new shiny. I mean, there's there must also be some uh, some kind of rush that you do something well, and I, you know you now have to disturb because you did this and, and maybe I, it didn't I work. I think the way that you another I think another dopamine rush comes from from you know flirting with the darkness of putting stickers on games yeah. and destroying games. These are sort of taboo things. Mm-hmm. You can't normally do that. Right. And now I'm letting you. Right. I-, I hate for it to be a gross comparison, but a gross comparison is to Cards Against Humanity. Well, I haven't played that. But, you know, so, so in this game, if you play it, if you lose or you win, it's going to have an impact on the game that's permanent. Um, if it's a campaign game and you win or lose whatever who cares big deal we'll play it again and it'll be a different outcome next time so so you're not tied to that as much you're you're talking about mechanics but you're not necessarily explaining why there's a draw to that i'm trying to explain why there's a draw to that well i i i don't know i don't have the words to explain why there's a draw to but it's it's because you're just not um as emotionally invested in winning or losing Right in a campaign if you lose if you lose the game in the campaign yeah it's a shame we lost hey let's try it again the legacy game, you don't have that option. Hey, we lost. You know, there's no going back. There's no. You you think it's because of emotional investment and having to make a change to yes. the game? That could be. I think so. I think that's also part that of it. That could be. But I think there's a lot of stuff in these games, which the stickers and the stuff that go on it is not necessarily stuff that is win and lose the game. Like in Seafall, you'll get extra stickers to put different resources on stuff. You know, this one is now a wood-producing spot, so put a wood-producing sticker on it. Okay. And those are things that people find fun, even though I don't think there's that much investment over, is this wood or iron? Mm, okay. I guess, you know, not having played it, it's hard to to judge what it's like. I remember hearing about Risk Legacy, where, where more drastic things can happen, if I remember right. Yes. And maybe there, yeah, it's, it's a bigger bigger concern, the permanence of the change. I don't, I don't know. But I think it just ties into I, I, my personal opinion is I think it just ties into people wanting, you know, flirting with the dark side is really what I mm-hmm. think it is. Well, you know, it, it's a nascent industry, so so over time people are going to develop it more, and I'm sure they're going to get really fancy at how they make legacy games. They're going to be like expert legacy game designers, and and we're going to have some really amazing games in the future. I think so. Mm-hmm. But I'm also hoping that I hope we continue to have more campaign games because I think that oh, yeah. there still is. I think that a campaign game gives you something that a legacy game does not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there's room for both, definitely. Mm-hmm. 
I think that for a you know a, a good legacy game has to make the legacy aspects of it be something that you're constantly having to reference and could not have been implemented better without the legacy parts. So the stickers, like I was talking about the stickers on the cities for Pandemic Legacy, those stickers in the cities could not really have been well implemented without that. The stickers on the character cards certainly could have. That's nothing more than RPG has been doing for years. RPGs do that all the time, and it's almost, it, it feels exactly like leveling up a character in an RPG. That could certainly have been done with just paper and pencil. But something like those stickers on the board, that requires something like stickers on the board. That really requires making that permanent modification to the game, because otherwise it's going to be too much to keep track of and really involve yourself with if it weren't done via stickers. And I think that someone who's trying to throw legacy in there, you know, as a cheap gimmick without really taking advantage of it, doesn't deserve to be called mm-hmm. legacy. Um, and that other game that was on Kickstarter a year or two ago that's coming out, I guess, this year, I forgot what it's called, the, the one that's cards where you're exploring an island? Seventh Continent. Yes. Is that a legacy game? I don't remember. That is a campaign uh, game. Okay. Because all of those are card changes. You have a card pool as you're playing through the game. And you can reset the game by lining up all the cards and putting them all back in the right place. But until you do so, cards will be put in different boxes. But you'll never tear up any of the cards. Unless you have a house fire. (laughs) That's a different problem. Then every game's a legacy game. Exactly. Ooh, Legacy but, Uno. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, that's a campaign game, and that that utilizes all of its aspects what it, that's needed. Mm-hmm. And with the cards in that game, cards are very much just reference, so you don't need to be changing things to the cards, and it takes advantage of card replacements in order to be able to make it into a campaign game. Yep, okay, that makes sense. And for that one, you have more of a... I think that there's more of a challenge in doing the game well, I think. It's hard to say because that game's not out to figure out if it's going to make replayment, mm-hmm. re, uh, replaying it good or bad. So in that case... We'll have to get to that before we can get to We that. could say whatever we want then. We can certainly <laughs> make whatever hypothesis we want about it. There we go. Okay. Have we covered this one all we can publicly? Well, here's something interesting about campaign games and i think oh. i mentioned this before is that you know people I, I i people with warhammer quest for example and i i review the, I, I keep mentioning the same games because they're games that i love and continue to play but with warhammer quest it's a campaign game and people will go through the campaign and they'll say oh i've played the campaign i'm done now what and they'll treat it more like a legacy game or you know a disposable mm-hmm. A campaign game doesn't have to be changing every single time. It's nicer when it does because it adds more replayability, like Imperial Assault or Descent. They add more replayability because the nature of the campaign can change, um, especially in Imperial Assault because you know you have different outcomes based on who won and who lost and what sort of stuff gets in the card pool. But you know, with with Warhammer Quest, the Avenger card game, that campaign will only minutely change based on success or failure. Mm-hmm. And 
that reduces replayability, but I don't think that defeats the purpose of the campaign. And I think that the campaign is still just as enjoyable as a regular board game, and if not more. So it's unclear to me why it is that reaction occurs more in a campaign game. Is it because campaign games try to present themselves as being a surprising story each time, and therefore I want to continue to be surprised? Because people don't ask for new surprises for a standard game. Yeah, you're right. I don't know. The So the Lord of the Rings card game, I've been playing that, and I have tried to play each... each um release in order as the campaign um and i guess in a way i'm doing it in the legacy style in that as i open up a new pack i will add the cards i don't use the cards until i play that scenario so each time i play a new scenario the game is changing for me um and it is effectively a legacy game because i'm never going to go back and replay it just because i can't keep up with all scenarios that are out you know if i catch up and finish playing all scenarios i'll go back and replay other ones that won't happen until they stop producing it. So I guess in a way that's a legacy game. Why? Because you're putting the you because you're self-imposing legacy elements. Mm-hmm. Yep, and that's just because the way I wanted to play from the beginning. That as I play each story, I'm exploring more of the world, and as I explore more of the world and meet new characters or whatever, it's giving me new resources, and those are the cards I'm adding into my pool of available cards. So that's just the way I've chosen to play it. And does that give you a different experience because you're doing it that way? I think so because I, I know people that are that that don't play that way have all these cards to pick from, and they're like playing a new scenario, you know, and immediately adding cards from scenarios they haven't played. Um, so so it gives them different options than I have. Um, so as I play a game, I'm really excited to finish a scenario and try and plow through it if I have to, you know, play multiple times until I win it, so I could go on to the next scenario because I know it's going to give me new cards. And so it's giving me that shiny, that cult of the new effect every time I finish the scenario successfully. Interesting element. Mm -hmm. I imagine Arkham Horror would work the same for me because that's probably what I would do too. I wouldn't add the cards until I've played the scenario. I think that enhances the level of replayability of the game, but I think that I will continue to play old scenarios with new cards anyway. Yeah. Well, and so now, now to contradict what I just said, when I've played with my son... You know, we went to the first scenario in the game and played that, and I I didn't go and separate all the cards, so we just had the original. We just used all the cards available as of today. I always knew you were full of contradictions. I, well, but I'm not, see? <laughs> I kill me. <laughs> so, yeah. You just confused me. <laughs> uh, my job here is done. Oh, then I guess we're done with this one. I guess so. Except there's one aspect we didn't cover about this game. What could that be? Honest? Well, it's missing one thing. Are you sure? I think it is. Maybe missing two I mean, We things. haven't even opened up all the boxes. Yet. Let's see what's in the next one. Oh, and I did put up the survey in time for this, sort of, for the last one. <laughs> I finally did it yesterday or the day before. I think it was the day before yesterday. Yeah, yeah. Congratulations. So you're <laughs> saying we can actually look up and see who's winning? Yeah. 
you know, it's a. So who's winning? I'm looking it up. I'm trying to find it. The one player guild is so active. It is, you know, I made this post two days ago. It's on page two already. Yeah, go one player guild. That's what we got for being the biggest guild out there. The biggest one that counts. Yeah. (laughs) All right. So last time we had uh, to decide if the grizzled needed either decongestants or dumbbells. Um, which I apparently spelled incorrectly, and that's okay. I'm a dumbbell. The winner, surprisingly, is decongestants. Surprisingly? Surprisingly. I had a plan, and I <laughs> executed upon that plan, sir. Nine people thought this war game needed decongestants, while only seven thought it needed uh, dumbbells. I had a plan, and I executed upon that plan. Good. Well done. Well, well done. I will show you. The year of 2017 is the year when I win all of them. <laughs> Every last one. Is that what year this is? Yes, we're in 2017, Albert. It's a new year. The, the year of war games is over. We needed a new year for something. I like oh, it. no, I don't, think we're, I don't think we're considering that year. <laughs> I think I'd rather just have year of the duck. <laughs> the year of the duck? Year of the duck. What, how are we going to do ducks in this show? I have no idea. I'll leave that. I'll leave that up to you. I mean, how do we do war games? We occasionally talk about war games, so we'll occasionally talk about ducks. <laughs> okay, maybe we'll have a duck guest on the show one day. All right. I don't know any duck designers. Well, unfortunately, today's words are not ducks, because then that would be perfectly good segue. Instead, <laughs> you get to argue about Danger Mouse. Danger Mouse. Danger Mouse. Oh gosh. Okay. Have you ever heard of Danger Mouse? He is a superhero, isn't he? Yes, he's a cartoon superhero. Let me, let me look him up real quick. <laughs> Mouse. I remember Mighty Mouse, and I think I confused the two, and they're very similar. So no, this you... is your submission, and, mm. and this is coming from Mark Perry. He has recommended mm. Danger Mouse for Pentap Legacy. I'm going to be having a submission from Lynn Eads, the a clown. Actually, there's also a musician called Danger Mouse, so I don't know. I could argue both ways, or either way. You are welcome to do that <laughs> if you wish. Apparently, there's actually a reboot of Danger Mouse. The musician or the cartoon? The cartoon, oh. sir. <laughs> Yeah, I vaguely remember this, because I remember his sidekick. What was his sidekick? It looks like a little gopher or something like that. Maybe, maybe it's- I saw Mighty Mouse growing up. I've never saw Danger Mouse, so I'd just be out. I'd just have to be making up some randomness. Fortunately, you have to make up some <laughs> randomness. Go me. So I'll let you go first. <laughs> <laughs> you about ready? Um... Sure, why not? Three, two, one, go. What this game needs is a box with Danger Mouse in it. Uh, the reason is because this, this game brings a lot of cardboard, and once you're done, what are you going to do with all this cardboard? Feed it to your little Danger Mouse. He'll come, save the day, and uh, eat your finished game as you're done with it. It really adds to the permanence. It doesn't say to destroy a card or remove a card. It says feed it to Danger Mouse. It's a built-in self-destruct mechanism. Stop. Mm. Darn, because I was going to add the other Danger Mouse to the musician. <laughs> you ran out of time. Yeah, right. <laughs> I have to figure out what I'm going to do about clowns. <laughs> what is your word? Clowns. Didn't we do clowns already? Did we? Yes, I covered clowns. It's not on the list of things that we covered. I covered it 
Yeah, I covered it. Let me go back and check. Hang on. You may get another word. Um, I will get another word then. Let me go see contributions. Yeah, because didn't I play the clown song sound? Oh, dear God. I went. This is even worse. Andy's Andy's submission is the next one that came up. It's dresses. <laughs> dresses. Now, the word isn't dress. It is dresses. Dresses. All righty. Here we go. Three, two, one, go. A pandemic legacy apparently needs dresses because we need another method of upgrading the various characters because, you know, in a regular RPG game, you get to put on male dresses and things like that. And there's plenty of females in this game. It's a very, it's actually heavily female, I think. So we need plenty of dresses in order to make better ways for upgrading the characters and give them new and fascinating abilities. Stop. Excellent. Oi. Now. Oi, oi, oi. <laughs> Now I you get a five second. Rebuttal. Now I'll tell you what I'm so magnanimous here. Looking back at the at the episode one fifteen, we had scary clowns. If that is not the same as clowns, I will let you redo this and use clowns. Uh apparently, Lynn has done both clowns and scary clowns. Mm-hmm. Sorry, Lynn. Do a, do a third argument if you like, and we'll post all three. No, I think I'll <laughs> stick with. That display. You have five seconds to say what you wish about it. Go. The problem with putting dresses in the box in, in the game is that dresses are fashionable. And really, do you want to Stop. wear less seasons? Stop. You only have five seconds. Oh, sir. I had to talk fast. Let me do that over. Thou shalt stop. I'll talk more quickly this time. Do you want to do it over? <laughs> no, that's not fair. Oh. It's like, I don't think that works. <laughs> That is that is not rules. That's not rules. But that is a show. So people vote when I post this, and and you could uh, help us decide what this game needs: dresses or uh, danger mouse. Bye bye. Bye everyone. Thanks for listening. We love feedback, so we love hearing from you. You can reach me at Julius at OnePlayerPodcast.com or JLBird on BGG. And Albert can be reached at Albert at OnePlayerPodcast.com or Fractaloon on BGG. Our website is OnePlayerPodcast.com with the number one, and we're also on Twitter at OnePlayerPodcast. The intro music is copyright Angus, can be found at Gemendo.com. The transition music is copyright by Dan Elduce Pancaldi, whose page is at DanPancaldi.com. The One Player Podcast is protected under a Creative Commons share-alike license. Thanks for listening.